Richards Bowie Versus Tillian Is this year when I'm glowy Am I killing? I hope it's not a blowy Or a villain It's time for Bowie versus Dylan. Welcome once again to another sparkling edition of mm. Bowie versus Dylan. Sparkling. I'm Charlie, and I like Bowie. I'm Jake, and I love Dylan. Hey, today we're looking back at the statistically the worst possible year to be born in. <laughs> I read That's this online. Statistic. You know what? So I know it's true. No, it's not. Uh, that year is 1980, a terrible year to be born Great in. Great year. A vintage year. John Lennon <laughs> got shot. That was fun. <laughs> well, that's like a little preview of things to come, Jake. Let's well, yeah. That and it actually uh, that happened like uh, two weeks before I was born. Or three, yeah. I guess. Three weeks before I was born. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. yeah uh, those of you at home, Jake was born in 1980, which means he's turning 40 this year. Yeah. And I wanna, I'm want i getting a, a jump on making fun of him now. You have I'm been not. doing that for years. <laughs> I know. I'm, literally, I'm really looking forward to this, Jake. Really I don't know what you think it. is going to happen. But, I don't know. I'm okay. just going to make fun of you. That's and you fine. won't really care that much, but I I'll won't. Anyway. <laughs> I won't. But and then... I think it's funny, and you won't, and you know that, that's all I got. I'm, I'm being real, realistic about it, Jake. It's okay. <laughs> I already received your AARP magazines, as you know. As Absolutely. As we different episodes. Well, so. I've always been an old soul, and so I'm just getting a jump on the whole thing. <laughs> you know, first is 40, next is AARP. Something like that. <laughs> No, ARP was first. You've been getting it. It's been delivered to my house. Your ARP magazine. It's been coming to my house for at least three years. Well, so. I used to, I used to get them when I first moved to Portland, which was in the year two thousand four. So that oh, was okay. that was well before I turned forty. Okay, well, sure. Yeah. Uh-huh. Now, now they come to my house instead. <laughs> Nothing makes in me happier. In Minnesota, a state you've never lived in. You can make fun of me all you want for my age, but oh. you get my ARP magazines for life, sir. <laughs> And that's all that truly matters. <laughs> yeah, if they had like coupons or something, I'd be feeling better about it. But, yeah. <laughs> no coup, no coupons. Well, no offensive you. coupons in the ARB magazine. <laughs> no perfume. No nothing. Hey, hey yeah. Jake. Yeah. Why don't you spin us a tale? Ah. Of 1980, the great majority me... of the year, which was before you were born, absolutely, uh, pretty the much vast majority, pretty much 99.5 percent. But you were you were a bun in the oven for most of it. So, oh man, was uh, I? Let's hear, about, let's hear about that time. Well, okay, so um, what happened was I was conceived probably. Hey, no, 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 no. Whoa, whoa. April, back let's up. say. Back uh, up. I was three weeks late. Jake, whoa, okay. <laughs> so right. I could have been born on the day that uh, John Lennon was was murdered, uh, but I wasn't. I was three weeks late. Is that what you wanted to hear about? That sounds like no. the question you asked. No. No. Okay. Let me tell you what thinking, instead. I was strangely thinking about Bob Dylan. <laughs> You're always a little As, bit thinking about Bob Dylan. Uh, this, is, uh, this is not called Bowie versus J- the pregnancy of her mother in All right. Let's talk about Bob Dylan then, if you insist. Uh, we're going to start our discussion about Bob Dylan in the year 1980 by talking about the 22nd Annual Grammy Awards. Every hey. every conversation should really theoretically begin and maybe end with the Grammy Awards. Hey, Jake, I just want to cut you off really quick because I think we just won another Grammy for this episode. Oh, did we really? Yeah, no for way. just the first couple minutes. Oh, the first great few minutes of a podcast. First five minutes of a podcast centered around two classic rock musicians. Oh, man. Congra- you know what? Brothers from home. Congratulations. Congratulations, Chaz. Uh, Bob Dylan won a Grammy Award in 1980. It was was for this award, Chaz. Now, don't interrupt. This is going to take me a while. This is the name of the (laughs) award. He won the Grammy Award for Best Male Rock Vocal Performance. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's right. It really rolls off the tongue. (laughs) Now, I'm going to read you from the Wikipedia page exactly the, the, the kind of history of this award. This is... This is a really this is a this is a, a rich and storied history. This no is doubt. a real meaty couple paragraphs, and I just yeah. I just want you to sit back, relax, take a sip of your oh, beer. I'm gonna take a. I've got my beer. I'm gonna take a oh, sip. Oh man, this is almost BVD theater. It's so good, so good. All right, here's here it goes. Originally called the Grammy Award for Best Rock Vocal Performance, comma male, the award was first presented to Bob Dylan in 1980. 
Quick round of applause there. Good job. Whoa! I didn't realize it was the first winner. All right. Prestigious award. Beginning with the 1995 ceremony, the name of the award was changed to Best Male Rock Vocal Performance. However, in 1988, 1992, 1994, and since 2005, this category was combined with the Grammy Award for Best Female Rock Vocal Performance and presented in a genderless category known as Best Rock Vocal Performance, comma, Solo. <laughs> the Solo category was later renamed to Best Solo Rock Vocal Performance beginning in 2005. This fusion has been criticized especially when females are not nominated under the solo category. The Academy has cited a lack of eligible recordings in the female rock category as the reason for the mergers. <laughs> <laughs> While the award has not been presented since the category merged in 2005... Sorry, women, apparently you didn't release enough songs last year. Women, get to singing and maybe recording it. Come on, <laughs> what guys. What are we talking about Come here? on, ladies, step well, it up. Well, only two women got to record last year, so I guess there weren't enough. So um, they... Also, this is one of those things, I, I've, heard this, I've heard this as a controversy around the Oscars, mm -hmm. as to why is there a different category for best you know, male actor and female actor? Sure. Like, this isn't like a sport. They're all where, actors. You know, like men right. are naturally better, you know, physically more physically stronger, faster sure. than women in general. Like, there's nothing about, you know, men or women that make them better at acting or making music than, than no. you know? No, not at all. I think it just, it's like a tokenism from back in the 60s or whatever when they were like, yeah. oh, yeah. I guess we should include women in these things, you know, since they've been making music and making movies since the beginning. Right. You know I, mean, I mean, it probably made sense at the time, though, like, because otherwise there's just this category that women never, ever, ever won or were nominated for. Right. Right. But now at least they're being honored in some way. So maybe now it's time to move past that and back to a one category and just, you know, have women win it. I think what sometime. we should I think what we should maybe do. Like, maybe like fifty percent of the time you could expect a woman to win it. We fifty uh, percent of the nominees women, you know? That would make sense. Well that would make sense if women like made enough good movies and good music. <laughs> Well, according to the Grammys, they don't do that, so... <laughs> All right, this is, this is probably my favorite. Yeah. This is my favorite part. Yes. Uh, while the award, which I just explained, has not been presented since the category merge in 2005, an official confirmation of its retirement has not been announced. <laughs> so, so maybe no one has made enough. So are they just are they keeping that are they though. keeping that baby in their back pocket for later? Like, ooh, we're gonna whip the, we're gonna whip the Grammy Award for best <laughs> rock vocal performance, comma male back out at some point. <laughs> <laughs> oh uh, man! Anyway, if Bowie, didn't, if Bowie didn't win it for Black Star, then ain't no one gonna win it. Ain't nobody gonna win that. Well, it's been out of commission <laughs> since two thousand five, so he can't. <laughs> He can't. Well, it hasn't been retired, though, Jake. It You're hasn't right. been oh, retired. It could come back. Uh, cool. Some other fun facts about the 22nd Annual Grammy Awards. It was hosted by Kenny Rogers, who we just lost. Oh. R.I.P. Kenny Rogers. Mm. Uh, he was also up for that award, whose name I'm not going to keep saying over and over again. Um, which I well, think He lost it, I heard, to Bob Dylan. <laughs> that's, that's the scuttlebutt. <laughs> um, it also... It also featured uh, the best... Uh, a category called Best Disco Recording... Which was Ooh. the first, and you guessed it, last time they ever had a best <laughs> disco recording category. That is peak 1980, right? Absolutely. <laughs> it's like four years past when disco was really good. And, and then they were like, let's give it an award! It's also peak Grammy. <laughs> so peak Grammy. Although I would Starting argue... a trend that ended the year before. I would argue that every Grammy is peak Grammy. Every single one of them. <laughs> <laughs> They're the best. <laughs> All right, so Bob won that award. Apparently, he gave a uh, quite solid performance on the show. Um, but also, it's so appropriate for for uh, Bob to win it in 1980. Well, it was <laughs> not any of the years in which he really deserved to win it. It was it was a little odd seeing as how this is his uh, <laughs> this is his uh, Christian period. We're right smack yeah, in the yeah. middle. Uh, Bob spent the majority, if not the entirety, of 1980 um, as being the most entrenched in his evangelical Christianity. Um, so the story is that he he uh, accepted Christ in late 1978. He spent 1979 recording um, "Slow Train Coming" and kind of like shockingly introducing this this new evangelical side of himself in concert. And then 1980, like the whole year, he was out there uh, doing gospel tours. Um, released another album, like 
all evangelical Christianity all the Making time. people feel bad about themselves. Yeah. Tra- he's, he's trying, trying anyway. He was trying. He was preaching to himself, uh, to himself and others, I guess. Um, this, he, he had the, Other people just kept listening in. He had the most fervor this year. He was definitely on a mission. And uh, I just want to, I kind of want to give a shout out to him. And I'll talk a little bit about it more in the, in the gospel tour thing. But like, this was not a stunt. The way that he was oh, talking about it, he was all in. He was 110% Jesus all the time. That's all he talked about. That's the only songs he played. He went out and whatever fans booed him or whatever, like he didn't care. He was absolutely 100% Mr. Christianity. So I got to, you know, give him a little, I got to give him a little shout out. Way to go, Bob. Uh, This is evident on the Bob Dylan gospel tour, which he, which he started in 1979. And this lasted until May of 1980. He did 79 concerts and three legs, no past material was included in the concerts. Not a small small tourier for him. Small tour, but it's not the never ending tour yet. No, don't worry, no. he came back for a different tour at the end of the year. So no worries about that there. Finally, Bob. I know, gosh. Only eighty concerts. Uh, the set list did not vary. He did the exact same thing every single time. Um, he had at least five backup gospel singers at all times. Uh, hooting and hollering along with and them. And rare for him, he wasn't having affairs with two of them. Oh, he had at least two relationships with them. He just wasn't, oh, okay. he wasn't married anymore, so they weren't affairs. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah, I don't, I don't even know how appropriate it is to talk about his clear uh, predilection towards um, African-American backup singers throughout the 80s. It's kind of a, it's kind of a thing. We'll just go with that. Kind of a thing. Kind of a thing. Uh, the band that he brought along with him actually ended up being pretty great. Um, they had a lot of time to rehearse. They were, you know, kind of white hot, a lot of good session players on there. Um, and the, the concerts, I guess, were very good. These were, these were kind of dug back up for the Trouble No More box set a couple of years ago. Um, the one you don't own? Yeah. Well, I don't own the Super Deluxe. I own the, I own the two-disker. The normal mm. deluxe edition, Chaz. But I was mm. thinking, and I wrote this at the top of my page, I suppose I need to get the super deluxe edition. <laughs> Trouble no more. Because I mean, you're missing like seven discs or something. I'm right? missing only 17 discs of gospel song. It's just because the, <laughs> it's just because the, the live stuff, which that box set um, exclusively covers, is so much better than his albums during that time. Yeah. It's like... Yeah. It's kind of like going to church. Like it's kind of like going to a gospel church. They really like. Yeah. They really work out some of this stuff. Some of the songs get stretched out. There's a lot of vamping, a lot of a lot of praising, praising the Lord, and such like that. Um, <clears throat> audiences may or may not have agreed that this was, <laughs> was this was great music. Yeah, there's been recent like critical reassessment of that. So there has. Okay. Um, I read some stuff. Not to go into it too much, but I read some stuff um, in one of his biographies about how um, the first time he went out, um, he had like a 12-date residency at the Warfield Theater in San Francisco. And yeah. nobody knew what he was going to do then. And he went out and he, you know, this is the first time anyone had seen the full gospel experience. Yeah. And so a lot of the critics were kind of slandering this. They're like, what is going on? Like kind of like more confusion than anything. And some of the audience members did walk out during that time. And that was the, that was the tone, the, the critical tone that was set throughout the gospel tour was like people were leaving in droves and like screaming at him. And it was kind of like 1966 all over again. Uh, (laughs) But it seems that that wasn't, that wasn't quite the case. I mean, I think people probably went curious and some of them didn't like it and other people really did. Um, But that was kind of the rub on this tour was that it was a, it was a, it was a very divided thing, but I don't think that was necessarily the case the whole time. Um, he shot a, on his own dime, he shot a full-length concert film at Massey Hall in Toronto. Um, that never came out. I guess it's very well shot. There is a version on YouTube that I watched a little bit of. Um, that came out on the Trouble No More, wasn't there? Yeah, that, that came out. Yep. Okay. That came out okay. on the Trouble So it got, it got a, a read. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, it, it ended <laughs> up. <laughs> Sorry, I meant at the time. Bob was having some trouble with Columbia Records who were like, Bob, are... <laughs> Are you gonna? Could you just make gonna, some, uh, uh, some good records instead? So, uh, so this, so this, uh, so this Christian thing is that like something that is that a thing you're doing like for a while or? 
<laughs> and Bob's like, are you being a, are you being ironic? Because nobody gets it over here. <laughs> and Bob's like, Jesus is my savior. We don't get the joke here, Bob. And then we'll the next, honest. and then the next year, and the next album, they're like, well, Bob, you know, now that you've done that thing, that was clearly like something that, uh, you know, you did. Wh- what's next for you? And he's like, Jesus is my savior. <laughs> and they're like, ah, and they're like, ah, well. You is it? Is that, he? Bob. Is he? You said that last time. Uh, <laughs> is something different. Right? Yeah, he was supposed to have a, a live album come out. Uh, the, the concert film was supposed to come out. There was another like compilation of songs from the albums that were supposed to come out in Columbia. Just was like hard pass. All that yeah, stuff. No hard pass, please. <laughs> uh, can we do another greatest hits or something? Yeah. Can we? Uh... Uh, so. He did all that stuff, and then he took a break in the summer. And Chaz, guess what? This is exciting for us. Hey, I, I found I found the flashpoint. I found the exact moment when Bob Dylan boarded his yacht in the 1980s. <laughs> it's right here. This is it. The summer of 1980, he was supposed to continue to tour. He was going to barnstorm like the entire United States over and over again. Uh, kind of like the never As one tour. does. Yeah, yes, one does. Um, but apparently there was a crippling heat wave that summer. And so he decided not to go mm. out. Um, it was kind of like dangerous heat all over the place. I bet and that so, was hurt for our, for our pregnant mother. I think it was. I think uh, I think there's many sweaty pictures of her with me. Just like, <laughs> In India? I was, a uh, uh, fun fact about Jake, uh, I was 10 pounds, 11 ounces. He <laughs> <laughs> uh, was a pain in the butt from the second he was Absolutely. Born. No, I'm an easygoing dude. Actually, from before he was born. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so Bob, to escape the heat wave, guess where he went? The only place that was hotter, which was the Caribbean. He went down there, <laughs> and he commissioned a schooner to be built, and he he boarded that schooner, and he just would like he would just <laughs> so like he go out. He got on the yacht. He got on the yacht, Jazz. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, it'd be a couple of years before he fell off of it again. Yeah, it would be a couple of years. Now he did this. This was the good days on the yacht because he went straight from writing, um, you know, medium, you know, lukewarm gospel songs to writing uh, to writing white guy reggae songs. Being in the Caribbean, <laughs> which is kind of a, a thing if you're if you're in the Caribbean on a yacht. Like, yeah. what else are you gonna do? Well, I don't know. You look in around, the eighties. Like, <laughs> this is the perfect storm. There is no other career option for you. The first you song. You're an aging white rocker <laughs> in the Caribbean on a yacht in the eighties. You have no oh other gosh. choice. Yeah, and his, you know, his first instinct being in the Caribbean, and he, he he got on his yacht and he took a look around and he's like, "I'm gonna write a song called Caribbean Wind," <laughs> which he did. The wind, the wind blew in his face. You know, he was probably wearing like. A rakishly tilted captain's hat, you know. I, I'm thinking, there. I'm thinking of, up there on the fro, a boat cap, a boat hat, one of those like, one of those straw daddies, you know. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm going straw, straw Caribbean hat. <laughs> <laughs> well, he writes Caribbean wind. Um, actually, he did all all the best songs that he wrote, like in the early '80s. He wrote down there in the Caribbean, and then decided not to put on the albums. This is kind of where it all. <laughs> Those songs which belong is to. This is what Bob does. They belong to the Caribbean. They can't leave the Caribbean, even though they're. What happens in the Caribbean stays in the Caribbean. Even the good stuff. <laughs> even, even the, the good, good stuff. stuff. <laughs> Especially the good oh, stuff. Man. And then he went back out again on a on a short Pacific Northwest tour, um, and also into California. He did another twelve night stand at the Warfield Theater, <clears throat> and um, this is when he started to transition back into the secular. Um, so he started including like four or five songs, like hit songs, on on the back of the thing. Yeah. So it was basically yeah. the gospel tour plus a couple like blowing in the wind. Was sing to the end for what you actually want to hear. Right, exactly. <laughs> hey guys, <laughs> hey, be sure to stay for the whole concert. <laughs> Mind the eleven o'clock. I'll play like a Rolling Stone. He gets a little blue. Uh, <laughs> He brought on some guest stars because, again, he's just at this one theater for 12 nights in a row. Uh, Michael Bloomfield, which uh, is his white-hot guitarist and everybody's mm. white-hot guitarist from the mid-'60s, he came on in his last performance before he passed, unfortunately. Oh, man. Uh, our good friend Did Jerry. He, uh, were there any Tasty Licks when he was there? Well, yeah. that's He's made of Tasty Licks. <laughs> that guy brought a buffet everywhere he went, just chock-full of Tasty Licks. <laughs> he was one of the original Tasty Lick masters. Uh, Jerry Garcia came on, you know, did some stuff. Uh, Roger McGuinn from the Birds came on. And can I interest Noodle you? Noodle around with the guitar for like 17 seconds, you know. <laughs> Tried not to take over, you know. 
Uh, and then uh, and let's not forget our good friend Carlos Santana. Along <laughs> hey, for the whoa. ride. <laughs> hey, whoa. I feel like I feel like Santana should be a bigger story in Bob's life. He's always around, but I don't think they had a relationship. I, I can't find like what what is going on here. <laughs> I don't think there. It's not like Ron Wood. Like Ronnie Wood was an actual friend of Dylan's and would show yeah, up yep. here and there. Santana just like co-headlined tours with him for for decades, and I don't I don't know if they knew each other. It's very strange. The legend has that they never actually met. Oh, it's like who's this guy? <laughs> um, all right, and the last thing I have to talk about is uh, he put out an album. Jazz. Bob did, that is. Hey, not, well, not, yeah. Maybe Carlos Santana, too. I'm sure that was lousy. <laughs> uh, Bob put out his own lousy album in 1980. It's called Saved. 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 Guess what it's about. You go ahead and guess. Uh, good financial sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-mm. Nope. <laughs> Try again. Um, no other ideas. Well, let's pretend. Let's pretend that um, let's pretend that it's about evangelical Christianity. Can we first? Yeah, second? Well, we can pretend that. Ah, it was recorded in five days at the Muscle Shoals Muscle Shoals Studio in Alabama with our good friend Jerry Wexler, the super soul producer, who ended up kind of being the face of all this like slipped up R B R and B from the from the early eighties. Um, it was easier this time around because he just kind of brought in his backing band. They had been on the road. They came in and they kind of just played it just like it was live. Um, unfortunately, these songs didn't have nearly the punch and the ecstasy of the live performances. Mm. Uh, they're mm-hmm. literally kind of like this. They're literally kind of like a robot version of the of the songs they had been working out in concert. Um, yeah. So it was oh. what. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. Yeah. Uh, it was kind of lifeless and especially. Yeah, amen. Like, <laughs> now this, the mute, the, the album was kind of like, amen. Yeah. Can I, can I get an amen? Amen. Can I, can I? Amen. <laughs> uh, it was Bob Dylan's 20th album. Hey. <laughs> That's something. It had a, welcome to a, a new segment I like to call controversial album cover corner. No, hey. Usually, usually Bob's albums are just a picture of his face, like almost all of them are. Uh-huh. Uh, but this one had <laughs> every a, once in a while, there's this, a hidden Beatles or something in the tree, right? Oh yeah, well yeah, but his face was on that one as well, <laughs> along with all the Beatles. Uh, it is a. This one was actually a picture of Bob Dylan's butt. Which is butt. <laughs> Shocking. <laughs> it had yeah. not been saved. No, it was a big. It was a big, like Caucasian Jesus, Jesus hand reaching down from heaven, um, like blood dripping off of it, and all these other little oh. hands uh, <laughs> um, raising up to touch the big Jesus hand. I'm looking it up. <laughs> Uh, this is a fun, uh, another fun fact about me. Um, the only reason I own this album is, well, it's because I own all the Bob Dylan albums, but I have this one on vinyl only. Okay. This Super looks like fun. a, like the uh, mural at like, like the, the, the student made mural at a Christian high school. Yeah. And there's like lightning and like the, the font of the, of like the it's album not, cover is Oh really, yeah. The font is terrible. It's not, yeah. well, it's not a good painting. It isn't a good painting. No. No. And it's if you well. if you look at the back cover, um, Columbia Records like quickly turned the back cover into the front cover on subsequent issues. It's just Bob like a painting of him playing. They 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 got rid of the big Caucasian Jesus hand. Took that one away. Uh, it's a little a little uh, critics corner here. Uh, Robert Christgau said it's quote most likely a failed experiment or a pleasant piece of hack work. End quote. And I don't think it was, I don't think it was a, it might have been a failed experiment, but I don't think it was an experiment. I think he was, it was 100%. No, I, I think he was, he was behind it. Yeah. Um, Kurt Loder, who wasn't with MTV then, he was with uh, Rolling Stone maybe. Um, he, he didn't like it, but he said the song In the Garden, uh, which is one of the better songs on there, um, has a lovely billowing arrangement. I thought that was a... <laughs> That was a nice way to describe something. It's best. Yes. Yes. Uh, the lyrics were more direct, um, proselytizing, um, rather than um, this apocalyptic condemnation that he yeah. started out with. There's more kind of positive promises on there. It's more conventionally gospel, like early 80s gospel music. Um, but of course, again, uh, tentative compared to the concerts, and it was an absolute bomberoo. It just tanked. 
Uh, His previous album, the previous year, Slow Train Coming, his first Christian album, was like a hit. It was like a big hit. And I was kind of surprised, yeah. Uh, Saved, not so much. (laughs) No. It reached 24 in the U.S., uh, number three in the U.K., but... But not, you know, expectations. Were no staying high. power. No staying power. No, it didn't even go. That's pretty. That's pretty high, you know. It didn't even go gold in the U.S. I don't think. Which oh. for a, for a big name act at that time is like a disgrace, apparently. Oh, Bob. Bob, no. He put out four stinking singles. Uh, I'll I'll explain those later. <laughs> not not really. I'm feeling not, pretty confident about Bowie winning this year. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Give Bob a chance. Uh, I will give Bob a chance. So we'll destroy him. Let's do let's do year in for. I feel like we haven't had a real beat down lately, like a real beat down. Yeah, this is going to be a beat down. It's going to be a beat down. That's fine with me. Yeah. Uh, let's do a little year in fro. Um, so, like Bob's religious convictions, his fro was heavenly. It was very, it was very soft. <laughs> it was almost plush. It was very, uh, it was pillowy, kind of like a cloud. It was very cloudy. <laughs> I don't know if he teased it or like. Um, or like uh, feathered it or something, but like it's just very soft. It's like you could just lie down on it. I kind of want to. <laughs> I mean, he's always like sweating because he's uh, he's giving like a he's giving like a impassioned sermon every time you see yeah. the picture of him. But the fro somehow kind of survives. It's like a little, uh, you know, a little. I don't know, a little pillow between heaven and earth. We'll call it that. <laughs> A little cloud. Wait, is, is Bob the heaven or is he the earth? <laughs> no, he's the earth, and then there's the fro, and then heaven is above the fro. Okay. Yeah. Kind of like the atmosphere of the earth or something. <laughs> that was one of the best year in pros yet. I'm, 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 trying, I'm working out some, some new material. The new material. Good. 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 <laughs> All right. And with that, Chaz, I think I can throw it over to you. Hey. Thanks for listening. Jake, I want to spin you a tale. Do. Do. Please do. Tale... Of the 1970s. Ah. Mmm. A hearty decade. A hearty decade in which Bowie <laughs> was unstoppable. Mm. In which he made, and this is without hyperbole, honestly. I'm already being like over dramatic, but this is without hyperbole. His run of albums from 1969 or 1970, if you prefer, to 1980 is truly one of the best runs of rock music albums in all of history like you can argue it's not the very best one and i'm fine with that but it's no it's one of the best there ever was like what he accomplished between those years was just like Mm. what the beatles were for the 60s bowie was for the 70s that like unstoppable run of and all the different phases and all the different things he did and he could seemingly not do any wrong and like his worst albums in the period are like that's a pretty good album instead of being an amazing album sure anyway bowie uh, Scary Monsters is the last, the end of that, like, that period. The golden years, you know, if you want to use that term. And I do at this time. Wop, wop, wop. Uh, Wop, wop, wop. (laughs) Thank you. No problem. And uh, Bowie, at this time, like, it's one of those, it it happens multiple times, you know, where it seems like he, he did this on purpose. Like, where it seems like he's purposely closing off this period for himself and for us. And if Bowie had died... After releasing Scary Monsters, this is his big album in 1980. If he died after that, I, like, he would still be just as well-respected. And probably maybe even more now, because, you know, he didn't have to go on to release some really bad albums. And then some only kind of good albums. And then and then some pretty good albums. Like, it was just an amazing run. Um, and Bowie, he's, he's famous for self-mythologizing, but... This also this album feels like it was intended to be the end of a chapter. Like, okay. like he was closing up the decade, he was closing things up and moving on. So he's famous for looking back in a lot of ways and bringing stuff, weird stuff back in different ways at different times. Um, we're going to start with the, uh, with the cover. So on the cover, it's two different pictures of him. He's got his kind of like clowny Poirot costume that he wears in the Ashes to Ashes music video. One of those famous, uh, you know, costumes. Yeah. Before he just started wearing suits all the time for the entire rest of his career. Um, anyway, the cover has, including the back cover, the back cover has collage elements featuring parts of previous album covers of his own album covers um this includes all of the following album covers except which one multiple choice question for you jake oh okay which one is not included in this collage all right i'm ready to get this was it aladdin sane okay diamond dogs Mm, low Mm. 
Eros. Okay. Or Lodger. I can't say I know what the Lodger cover looks like. I know what the other ones look like. So it's a collage of front covers or just any of the artwork on the album? No, it's they're all front from the front covers. From the front okay. covers. Okay. Uh, well, since I don't know what it is, I mean, let's go with Lodger. It was actually Diamond Dogs. Oh, that, I was going to say, that's the one with the disgusting dog thing on it, right? <laughs> like the it naked, is, is. weird dog thing. Yeah, well, he worries where he's half man, half dog. And right, half, like, sickly-looking dog. Well, I mean, Greyhound, I guess. Man, also, let's, let's be honest. <laughs> well, okay, okay. <laughs> hey, let's be fair. He's, he's fairly skeletal. He's still got the Latin scene look going, you know. Sure, 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 yeah. sure. Uh, so, Aladdin scene seems like the ones where, because Low Heroes and Lodger were the three albums immediately preceding Scary Monsters. But then Aladdin Sane is, like, four before that, you know? Like, I don't, I don't know why that one gets it on there, but it is. Okay. Um, whereas Diamond Dogs really feels like the album it, that it feels like a more of a precursor to Scary Monsters and in ways that maybe I'll get to, but I'll get to it in points. Anyway, so that's just to start with the cover, but it's also musically, there's some different things going on. Um, so there's two different versions of a song called It's No Game. It's the first song and the last song on the album. Yeah. It includes part of a 1970 demo called Tired of My Life. Like you took a section of it and threw it in the song and it had never been previously released. Uh, the song Scream Like a Baby was originally written as I Am a Laser from 1973, written for a band he was supporting at the time called the Astronauts. Yeah, big one. And most big famously hit. is the song Ashes to Ashes, which includes direct references to Major Tom from, of course, Space Oddity being the mark of the beginning of the period in 1969. Ashes to Ashes is the big single at the end. Like this book, again, like it feels like he did this all on purpose. Like he planned it all out ahead of time and did like, yeah, which obviously didn't, but this is the way that the Bowie manages to, you know, like change his own past. So was it kind of like, it seem like he was doing things on purpose. Was it kind of like a Sergeant Peppers kind of a thing where like all these allusions to the, to their, his past career were on there, like a pinnacle record or is it more like, a no, I'm not quite to that level. It's more like, it feels, it's, the album feels like a summing up of a lot of things he was doing for the without explicitly referencing them in a lot of ways. Yeah. I mean, the other two references that gave were, would be very obscure. Neither of those songs had actually come out in, in any sure, 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 by this sure. time. Yeah. Um, Ashes to Ashes is the big one that is very clear. It was the lead single off the album. It was a big hit. Um, it's one of his better known songs even yeah. now. And it specifically references Major Tom from Space Oddity, which, like, very, again, very explicitly, like, bookmarks the decade. The song Space Oddity came out in 69, mm-hmm. Ashes to Ashes in 1980. Here we are, the golden year seventies, where Bowie was completely unstoppable. So how so. Was, how was he to know that this would be like the end of an era? Did he sort of make it? So, I don't know. Or? I don't know. And that's why one of those things where it's like you can't always tell with Bowie if he did this on purpose and it's yeah. all part of a plan, or if it just kind of worked out that way. Like you even look like a Black Star, which is the most obvious example of him. Well, yeah, that's like just pulling this trick like this, but this whole album is about death. But you don't even realize it until he dies. You know, two days after the album right. comes out. And so you think like, oh man, he planned this whole thing. This is like this final gift to us. Sure. But he actually was working on another album when he died. Yeah. That uh, there were demos like ready. He was already working on another album. So this wasn't his last goodbye. He he was keep he was still going. Yeah. It just feels so final because it just sums up what he was going through and you know his own impending death, which he already knew was impending death, even if he didn't know exactly when he was going to die. Yeah, like if Dylan had died yeah. after Time Out of Mind, we've talked about that, like it would yeah. be, you know, it would be it would on feel par like with, yes. but as it is, he didn't, and so like, it's still a mortality record, but it's not the mortality record. Right. And so there's different factors, which I'll get into a little bit later, about this, that, that makes this more of an end, because he doesn't release another album for three years, right. which is by far the longest he'd ever gone between albums up to that point, and one of the longest periods he ever went between albums, actually. Um, and he comes back with Let's Dance, which is such a different album and such a different Bowie, and it kicks off the, the 80s in such a different way. Mm-hmm. Mm-mm-mm. Mm-mm-mm. Well, there's a, little, uh, there's a little parallel here between Dylan and Bowie. I mean, far, far different circumstances, but uh, the next year in 1981, which we've talked about, uh, Dylan explicitly you know, started going away from the Christian thing, and he actually yeah. like, started writing songs um specifically every grain of sand which was the last song on shot of love which was his last uh album about christianity which was like yeah. clearly a summation of the whole experience right and then 1983 he tried to come back with infidels infidels so and bowie just kind of like takes takes sam off he doesn't do much in 81 or 82 right pretty quick 
Um, Scary Monsters is notable for including uh, Dennis Davis on drums, George Murray on bass, and Carlos Alomar on rhythm and lead guitars. Um, this is their fifth straight album together wow. as this made band. Wow. Which, it's one of those things, like, this, the, uh, the Spiders from Mars you think of as, like, Bowie's band, you know? Of course. And they had a run of, you know, four albums, kind of five, almost five, in which they were in a row. And they are like, this famous band that was with them. But these guys were with them, you know, for just as long. And, and it's Station to Station, Low, Heroes, Lodger, and uh, Scary Monsters, wow. which are, like... I didn't know that. Yeah, it's an incredible mix of albums. I mean, three of those would be my top five Bowie albums. The other two would both make my top ten. Do you like, think it's an incredible? Do you run, think if they yeah. had like a band name like Spiders from Mars that they would be more well known as a perhaps as they a would uni- as a unit? Perhaps they would. They should just call themselves like the band. Just like, just be like <laughs> that's not been taken. The band. <laughs> that's not been taken. And then if they wanted to later on. They could go off to be their own successful little side group. The band part two. The band junior. I don't know. I don't know. Hey, don't we're know. just spitballing here. We're just people here. <laughs> All right, let's talk about some other more ridiculous things about Bowie did. Yay! Let's go on to... So Bowie spends... Eh, I don't know what we um, Bowie does a, a rare commercial in 1980. He doesn't do a ton of commercials, but he does one in 1980. And it's Sweet. delightful. Oh, great. <laughs> anyway, uh, what was it for? Let me give you oh. five examples, Jake. Which okay. one did he do in 1980? I'm bombing these real bad today. Well, it's all right. They're kind of obscure, but they're still fun to do. Was it for Love Love Brand Ice Lollies, which is hard to say without a British accent. <laughs> love Brand Ice Lollies. Okay. Was it for Louis Vuitton? Uh-huh. Was it for Vitale Brand French Bottled Water? Oh. Was it for Takara Brand Japanese Sake? <laughs> or was it for Pepsi? Well, he did a Pepsi one later. So. I would say a little side note: all of these are actual commercials he did. Yeah, right. But like, none of them were close. I'm not like throwing you like one from 1979 and saying, "Hey, was this?" No, they're all like they're all spread out. Yeah, I think I think I remember. We talked about a couple of the these. the Louis Vuitton one was later, if I remember right. Um, I know it's not the Pepsi one because that was with uh, Tina Turner. I don't know. Uh, sake. Let's go Japanese sake. Hey, you're correct. Oh, yeah, I knew well, it. Good. I'm a feeling Japanese hot. Sake brand by the name of Takara. <laughs> Everybody got knows Bowie that. to do a couple of like 30 second. Is it 30 second? I don't remember. Couple different spots, okay. and they're just him Legendary. with a glass, looking super pensive into the camera. <laughs> yeah. While icy synths play in the background. <laughs> and I don't remember if he even says anything. He just drinks them. I don't. I, don't, I mean, I can't think of it. It's, it just it, nothing happens in these commercials. Okay. Well, him at a piano, yeah, moving slowly and looking around, just looking at the camera. So pensive, the most pensive. So it's just wildly pensive. So just, <laughs> just over the top pensive. But uh, <laughs> we actually wrote a song for these commercials what? called "Crystal Japan." Oh no, it's really good. Oh, the okay. Icy in the background were him. They were him, Jake. <laughs> It's an instrumental song. It sounds a lot like the second halves of uh, Low and Heroes. Okay. Where there's kind of like ambient-esque synth songs. Um, so he released the song Crystal Japan as a single in Japan only. Wow. Uh, naturally, fr- uh, fans of Bowie, you know, were clamoring for this thing and paying outrageous prices <laughs> to get a whole, you know, exclusive track from Bowie. So he released it as a B-side on one of the uh, singles. Up. Sure he did. No problem. I like Christian's Crystal Japan. It's a good one. <clears throat> a good one. Hey, let's talk about something that's a little bit bigger deal. Um, I only talked about it a little bit because we actually talked a lot about it in 1981. But Bowie was on Broadway. Wow, that's right. We did talk about that. He was on Broadway in the play The Elephant Man. That's right. So the Elephant Man is based on the life of Joseph Merrick who uh, is famously, was famously, had some combination of, I don't think they even know for sure to what now, but he was very horribly disfigured, but a very intelligent person. He became kind of the toast of Victorian society. People would come, like famous people would come and talk to him because he was very intelligent and very good conversationalist and, and you know, seems like he was a sweet man. Um, but, uh, yeah, very unfortunate looking. Um, the, famously, the play, uh, Bowie played Merrick in the music, or in the, not, it wasn't a musical, in the play, um, but famously, they had no makeup. There wasn't, like, over-the-top makeup in this, and he would just try to give the impression of this character by his physicality. 
okay. keep walking different ways and talk in different ways. And we kind of bent over to try to get you and, and then let the, uh, the audience imagine what this was. Bowie did not originate the role, but he was one of the first actors to take it on. He might have even been the second one, if I remember right. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was apparently really awesome. He was apparently really, really good at this. Wait a minute. His performance, he, he did the role for six months. Um, it does go into the early days of 1981, but I had so little to talk about when we did 1981 that right. I talked about a lot then. So I'm doing it, doing it quick here. Yeah. Um, Elephant Man effectively took the place of a tour. He didn't scary monsters. He had intended to. Um, but he didn't because he was doing this instead. But Bowie's apparently amazing in this. And strangely, he never really returned to the stage, hmm. like ever again ever. after the. Okay. He did a bunch of movies, but his really only next, I don't know of anyone until he, his own musical Lazarus, which he wasn't in at the very end of his life was the next like theatrical production he was in. So wow. a little strange after this, you know, was really was well received. Uh, yeah, no to worry, but he did have an appearance on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. Hey, hey. Played a couple songs, which he was awesome at. Okay. He flubs the lyrics multiple times, but there's such great energy, and the band's just cooking, and he, like, it's it's a, it's awesome anyway. He's going for it. And apparently this, he was, like, he he did this, you know, in a break from rehearsals or something, and had, like, rushed back to Elephant Man immediately after uh, recording this. Mm. So good for him on that. So do you want to um, do you want to do you want to do it? Do you want to be Johnny Carson, or do you want to be uh, the guy that goes? That is correct, sir. <laughs> we just got to do uh, we got to do a little something name? there. Oh man, what's his name? Uh, uh, I keep thinking Ed, Le- Ed Ed Leach, but that's the oh, what? Ed, no, what is it? Ed McMahon. Yeah, Ed, Ed McMahon. Ed. That's it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He yeah. gave me three million dollars that one time in that sweepstakes. <laughs> I remember him. Oh, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so do you want to be Johnny Carson, or we're just going to introduce David Bowie? That's all we're going to do, and then you can go on. Okay, I want to be a big man. Okay. <laughs> Crap, now i got to be Johnny Carson. <laughs> DVD theater. Well, uh, now coming up, uh, what we have here is a young gentleman from uh, England. His name is David Bowie, and here he is tonight playing a song he'll forget the lyrics to. <laughs> that is correct, sir! <laughs> ba-da-ba, 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 tonight on The Tonight Show! Uh, all right, we, we've done better. We've done, we've had, we've done I know, better. but that was up, that was just off the top of the dome. Just off the top of the dome, a little uh, improv theater for you. Well, uh, here we go with the. Uh... Go ahead. Hey, Jake, I'm gonna slow things down here a little bit. Here. Oh no, <laughs> I feel like they were pretty <laughs> slow. <laughs> <laughs> and just slow it down a little bit. We, you already brought this up, but yes. Uh, John Lennon dies. Yes, December. 8th, oh, I see. We're gonna go real slow. We're gonna get slow. Um, Bowie was friends with Lennon. They worked together on Young Americans, but they'd also been friends in different bars. Um, Bowie was in New York at the time. Was only a couple miles away performing Elephant Man at the time that uh, John right. Lennon was shot. Um, Lennon was killed by Mark David Chapman, was mm-hmm. the guy's name, um, who apparently I had to look read about this. He. He really did not approve of the way that John Lennon talked about religion and mm. led his life. So it was I mean, the guy's not insane. He's still alive. He's still in jail. I yeah, this up too. He sure, which is, is kind of crazy to think about too. You think about this, people like back here, they can't still be around. But the guy's alive. He's like in his sixties. He's not crazy old. Um, when they you know did investigations into Mark David Chapman, went to his apartment, all that stuff. He he had other plans. Like, mm-hmm. Lennon wasn't the only person, like, that he was thinking about. And Bowie was second on his list. Ugh. Like, Bowie was number two. Ugh. And uh, I found some of this out. And I didn't know some of this until, like, researching this. But the next night of The Elephant Man, the night after Lennon was killed, Chapman had front row ticket, had a front row ticket to The Elephant Man. Wow. And you know who else had front row tickets to The Elephant Man? Uh, John Lennon and Yoko Ono. What? For the following night. Wow. Didn't and so that. Bowie mentions this as how he he kept performing. He went on with the rest of the show. He only had a few. Uh, he had about a month left um, after this, and he performed. But he he performed the following night and could see the empty like, seat in the front man. row. That's and like tough. how hard it was to perform that night. And I can't imagine. Like, That's rough, man. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. Like this is not a I mean, this is legitimate. Slow things down. Like to think about this is ridiculous. Um, so it doesn't. It's not something I hear talked about a lot. But Bowie. He had intended to tour Scary Monsters in early 1981, like after he was done with his musical, and he never did. He kind of went and just had this super quiet year in 1981, um, just at home, basically, and spent more time with his kid and didn't do very much. And what I don't 
think I hear a lot about is how much this has got to affect a person, you know? Sure. So not only is like a close personal friend been murdered, <laughs> but you were almost murdered also by the same person. Right. Like, holy crap. That's got to do something to a person, you know? That's got to mess somebody up a little bit. Well, yeah. And course. so this is one of those things, like I was saying, it felt like it feels like Scary Monsters was this, you know, end to an era, like a purposeful thing. But this has got to come in here. I mean, if that hadn't come in, I don't know, maybe Bowie would have just released another album in 1981 and would have kept going. I don't know. I don't know what this does to a person and how this affects somebody. But it took him a little while to, you know, to come back into the public uh, spotlight after that. And I got to assume that that is, is related. Just, just saying. Boom. Boom. Yep. Hey, you're in here. Let's talk about the year. Let's have it. So Bowie's got uh, the poor man's mullet in 1980. Ooh, the poor. What's a poor uh, man's mullet? What does that mean? Poor man's mullet is like you know where you just could let it kind of grow out and gets really long looking. Oh like yeah, sure. Not sure, actually sure. a mullet. It's kind of a lazy. Probably not. It's, it's hard to tell if it's actually a mullet or not, but it is longer back there. So you just not get it trimmed in the back, and yeah. that would happen. I don't know. It's kind of a, la- a lazy mullet, maybe. It's a lazy mullet. It is. It's <laughs> yeah, a okay. lazy mullet. You know? I get it. Like, you're not I getting gotcha. to it. You know, it's not like business in the front and party in the back. It's like business in the front and like. And a lazy Sunday afternoon in the back, you it's know? It's like a disheveled day in the back. <laughs> just, just, yeah. <laughs> a day where you don't get out of your pajamas till yeah. the clock in the afternoon. Or That's something. the moment. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> Which is a lot of those days currently during quarantine, unfortunately. hey you know, uh, I'm also going to highlight his appearance on the um, Johnny Carson show. He he completely looks like James Dean from Rebel Without a Cause. Okay. Like, I don't know if it was purposeful or not, but he's wearing that same, like, red jacket and white mm. T-shirt. And his hair's, like, sort of slicked, uh, not slicked back, but kind of, it's kind of up, you know, with the poor man's mullet down the back. <laughs> sure. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it was on purpose or not. Probably. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. He just got out of the shower. He was like, yeah. <laughs> well, he was like, again, he, he, he recorded this thing and then had to rush right back to like went straight there from rehearsals and straight back from there back to rehearsals yeah for element man so i don't know i don't know but uh you know by his standards is still not that bad we're gonna go with a three <laughs> okay great yeah. love it the gentleman's right. three we call it let's point it up Jake. all right let's point it up all right so we're gonna start with the we're gonna start with the highlight of his year uh point wise and that, of course, is going to be his tour. Uh, most of it was a part of the infamous gospel tour. Uh, you know, I think, like, after hearing, I think, you know, I'm going to sound like some of these critics relitigating, relitigating the past, but, like, the, the performances from 1980 on Trouble No More, the deluxe box set um, from a couple of years ago, are, they're, they're, pretty, they're pretty illuminating. They're pretty enlightening. Um, the, the tour was extremely interesting, first of all, I think, like, yeah, him going out and doing this and not playing any old stuff and not capitulating whatsoever to yeah. you know the demands of all this kind of stuff and um, so it was very intense um, and then it was kind of different at the end. He kind of he I don't know if it was a capitulation or if it was just something he decided that he was gonna you know he was gonna do. But at the end at the Pacific Northwest tour, he just kind of started playing new songs again. He kind of did his his year long. Uh, you know, like I said, I don't want to call it an experiment, but he kind of did this this revival gospel show for a long time. Like he went after it. Um, one of my favorite parts, uh, you know, stories about it was there was definitely a certain member uh, uh, or a segment of the the audience that was like, you know, play your old songs. There was kind of like the new Judas kind of a thing. Like, sure, sure, old really songs, Judas old when songs. When he's singing about Jesus, <laughs> exactly, okay, exactly. You know? Like, if you do that, you're like, the Judas, basically. Too soon. Too soon. Here, okay? <laughs> it's too soon. It's only been 2,000 years. <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> it just feels tacky no matter who you are, okay? And uh, Bob would get mad at the audience at, sometimes, not all the time. A lot of the time he was just kind of, you know, preaching, doing his thing. He started off not saying anything to the audience. He would just sing the songs. And then he was like, well, I should say something. So he kind of started being a preacher, kind of. And then, you know, eventually he would get mad and, like, you know, do the whole, like, apocalyptic thing. Um, and uh, there was an audience member at one of the shows that had a, had a, had a placard that says, uh, Jesus loves your old songs. <laughs> Ooh, burn. Sick burn. <laughs> Sick burn. I think Bob had something to say about that. But anyway. Yeah, I bet he did. <laughs> uh, you know, that makes a certain amount of sense. I'm sure Jesus does love his old songs for the most part. 
Um, so I'm going to give the tour. It's a very famous tour. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to give it a 1.0. Hey, I solid. Like, I like it. Solid. It's, a, it's a solid tour. Let's go mm-hmm. on to something that's not very solid whatsoever. And that is the album <laughs> Saved. Came out on June 20th, 1980. Like I said, number 24 in the U.S., number 3 in the U.K. Um, it followed a great success in Slow Train Coming. It was supposed to be another success, and it just wasn't. Um, people were like, you're still doing this? And he's like, yeah, I still am. Uh, it does have a couple decent songs on it. Uh, my favorite song on it is Pressing On, which um, yeah. is a good song. This was kind of re-brought up by John Doe, the musician John Doe, on uh, the on the I'm Not There soundtrack. And there's a great performance in yeah. the movie. Christian Bale is playing him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember Christian Bale playing He's him. playing him as... Playing the, the Christian ones. Yeah, playing. if he had, like, survived as a kind of community Christian pastor for, you know since his career went that direction. So he's kind of yeah. like, you're kind of middle-aged and, and still fighting the good fight and all that stuff. But anyway, great song. Um, there is one more decent one. Well, he sings The Satisfied Mind, which is an old song Johnny Cash ended up singing, or maybe had sang by this point already. And then the other one is In the Garden. Um, so there's there's some, there's some decent songs on it. It's, it just doesn't sound very good. It's very, it's very lifeless. It's just kind of, they're going through the motions, unfortunately. Would you describe it as flaccid, Jake? I don't describe anything as flaccid. <laughs> That's one of those words that makes me uncomfortable. I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, I mean, it just sounded like you were defining the word flaccid when you were talking Well, about you it. can go ahead with that. That's fine. Okay. Well, I, I think I already did, Jake. I think I already did. I'm not even writing that down on my notes. <laughs> now that it's committed to posterity forever, that's fine with me. Yep. Uh, rolling I did that. So we, we talked about peak Grammy Awards earlier. Um, I always love peak Rolling Stone magazine is every issue of Rolling Stone <laughs> magazine. So originally, you know, you know, with these old white rockers, what they're just like, oh, this is the this is good. This is OK. You know, this album that they just put out, yeah. like it's the Mick Jagger syndrome. <laughs> yeah. uh, so Rolling Stone originally gave it three stars out of five, which, you know, okay. it's not a glowing review, but like no. everyone else gave it like a C minus, a D, you know, two uh-huh. stars. And then the Rolling Stone album guide turned around and gave it a one, a one star out of five. <laughs> we're just kidding, guys. After just thinking, kidding. Hey, whoa, hey, whoa, whoa, just whoa. after thinking about this, you guys were, everyone else was right. We're going to go with uh, a one. Yeah, whoa, hey, no, I always thought that. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a 20 out of 100. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's a nice little foreshadow to something later on too oh funny great um so i you know i only have it on vinyl i shudder to think that i would really ever pull it up on spotify or something to just listen to it <laughs> if i wasn't around my record player so i'm gonna give it a negative two it's really pretty bad negative two, yeah that's pretty it's bad really pretty bad yeah um okay. he had four singles and i'll try to i'll try to keep this <laughs> try to keep this brief <laughs> so two of them are, i wonder what i wonder what the uh, point spread is going to be at the end here <laughs> i don't know i mean he got a one for the tour so the singles yeah, aren't the singles for the most part aren't as bad as the okay, albums right. that they came off of um but two of them were from the previous album slow train coming which came out in 1979 um the first is man gave names to all the animals which mm. I guess is a story from uh, uh, Genesis. Yes, it's from Genesis. It's sure. from Gen- It's the Genesis. Well, come on! And it's a weird, like white reggae thing that he does. It's like ding, 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 ding. I gave name to all the animals. I don't think that I realized that the reggae period collided with the uh, Christian period. It absolutely did. You know, Jesus played a lot of reggae. <laughs> That's a fact. That's a real fact. Well. Um, I never liked this song. Like, it grates on me to a, a large degree. Um, it's really simple. It's kind of like a children's song, but it's white reggae. I don't get it. I never <laughs> I never got it. Yeah, it's a negative one for me, like, with a, bu- right. with a bullet. <laughs> negative one with a bullet. Uh, the next one off of Slow Train Coming is the song Slow Train. Not Coming, just Slow oh, Train. Oh, man. I know. Why'd you gotta leave me hanging like that, Bob? <laughs> I don't know, man. <laughs> Uh, it's very bluesy, and it's it's pretty representative of the album um, and of the entire era, really. Um, you know, I'd probably say it's not it's it's not terrible. It's not as bad as Man Gave Names to All the Animals. So I gave that a zero. Um, next, we're going to move on to two singles from the album Saved. The first is Solid Rock. That's a, they should have called it Solid Rocker because 
It really rocks, Chad. Hey, when you write your <laughs> biography of Bob during his Christian period only, you call it solid rock, Jerry. Coming from Bowie versus Dylan Press. <laughs> never! <BBD Press. laughs> Coming never to a store near you. Yeah, I'm going to get this BBD Press roll. We got so many books in the pipeline. Man, we got some real sweet daddies. You know, we're all stuck inside. <laughs> we got we got nothing to do but read. Let's get Let's get on that. <laughs> The one I'm most interested in is the uh, the Choose Your Own Adventure Life of Bowie. Well, we're going to do that one. That one, that we're one doing. I really like a lot. That one we're doing. That one we're doing. <laughs> uh, yeah. Get back to us in a year. We'll have it done by then. Um, it's just kind of like a driving blues kind of a thing. Again, it's pretty simplistic in terms of the lyrical structure and stuff. So it's not bad. It's not good. So another zero for that one. <laughs> um, and then we have a song called Saved, which... It, you know, this one, this wasn't as a... I'm glad it, he didn't call it just, like, Save. I'm glad he went for it and went through the whole title there. Saved. Definitely. Not Slow Train. Not just Save. It was Saved. <laughs> you get the whole album title here. It wasn't just Save with S-A-V without the E-D. Save. It just wasn't, like, it wasn't just S, you know? S. It was the whole thing. S. Uh, this is also a rocker, but it's also a banger, in my opinion. <laughs> both a rocker and a banger. It's, most, it's, a, it's a rocker and a, a banger. combination. And the, the reason that it bangs so hard is it's got this amazing piano part, like this old-timey rock and roll gospel, just like... <laughs> it was also co-written by Tim Drummond, who was the bass guitarist in his band. Uh, so way to go, Tim Drummond. For all of that, I give it a plus 0. 0.5. I think it's okay. Hey. hey. Nice one. It's all right. And so... What are we on with there, Jake? Uh, let's see. We ended with a negative two. Negative. Two. We ended with a negative one point five for the year. That is significantly less than what boys gonna end with. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> let's find out right, right. now. <laughs> let's kick it off with Scary Monsters, the album. Shall uh, we? Let's, uh, the whole the full name of the album is Scary Monsters and Super Creeps. Yes. It's the second part. Um, but we'll just call it Scary Monsters. Nobody Scary cool Monsters. says the whole name. It's one of his very best albums of all time. Mm. And it's end of one of the single greatest album runs in rock history. Um, it was his first album after the Berlin Trilogy, where it worked with Eno. Um, it's a little more mainstream and immediate, but I don't know. The whole Berlin Trilogy thing, I, I have a little trouble with, too, because Lodger, the third one, is so much different than the other two. Um, and Lodger has a lot more to do with Scary Monsters. Those are more similar albums. Um, it's got a... So it is a little more, you know standard um, rock structures, you know, song structures and everything. No ambient and stuff or whatever. Um, whatever. But it's also got, it's, it has a certain like harshness and aggressiveness to it. Um, it's definitely in the new wave, I don't know, zone, but a little more harsh and more aggressive. Parts of it I think of just being, like, being nasty. Just they're like... Nasty. Like in your face a little bit. Well, and I think of like The Wall. Okay. The Wall is a nasty album. Well, you know? sure. It's abrasive you know at times. Yeah. Yes. And there's little like there's little bits of that too. Scary Monster is not as nasty as the Wall, but it's got little bits of that as well. <laughs> not many things are. Um, but it's it's a truly amazing album. It's his second to last r- truly great album, in my opinion. Um, there was a running joke for years because every album that you know there's a running joke that Bowie should just put a sticker on all of his albums throughout the '90s and 2000s. Uh, just like just put a sticker on right away, saying that best it's the best sense. albums. In- Scary Monsters. Yeah. Because that's what, you know, every album that was any good, that's what they'd all say. It's yeah. the best of Scary Monsters. But no one's saying it's its best since Ziggy Stardust, or no one's saying it's its best since Low. Like, no. It's no, always no. best since Scary Monsters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Was the last, like, truly great one. Um, in my opinion, his only truly, true masterpiece after Scary Monsters was Black Star. Sure. Right before he died. Yeah. He's got other good albums after that. Don't worry. Don't, don't get me wrong. But his only true masterpiece is Black Star. Chaz, we're not getting um, you wrong. It was successful. It went number one in the UK, whoa! number 12 in the US. Whoa, 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 whoa. Which was a nice pick-me-up after uh, the critically acclaimed but not terribly successful Berlin trilogy. Yeah. And uh, Jake, it was well-loved by critics. Uh, Record Mirror gave it a 7 out of 5. <laughs> Shut up. Stop it. <laughs> it did. The pitchfork of its time. <laughs> oh sure whatever this record new was I don't know alright so he's got <laughs> that's good he's got three hot singles uh, the first one was so wait, a non-album what, single what do you give oh, it oh I'm sorry I give it a four whoa it is one of his very best albums one of my favorites by him 
Wow. Yeah, a four out of five. It's it's that good. So you're saying that Dylan good. still has a chance. <laughs> uh, all the singles are garbage that's what you're trying to tell me got it all the singles uh, so the singles they're all really great singles boo uh, starts with a non-album single his cover of Alabama Song which is a oh, yeah. Brecht and Kurt Vile song which has come out we've talked about it I don't feel like a couple different times a few times um, notably covered by The Doors the show me the way to the next little girl bar. oh we don't say oh, that anymore oh don't ask why Oh, oh, don't anyway. ask why. Uh, that's an old, you know, Bertolt Brecht and Kurt Vile song. Yeah. From the 30s. 20s, 30s? No, I can't remember. Um, from one of their musicals together. So Bowie covered it. I actually like Bowie's cover better than The Doors, and not just because I like Bowie better than The Doors. I like The Doors cover, too. Um, Bowie's a little closer to the original, but he's also got this really nice, like, the drum part is really super unhinged and crazy on it. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently, the drum part had to be recorded separately because nobody could like keep the beat while the drum was going it's it's an interesting drum part but it's it's really interesting and really uh an excellent cover i like it a lot sweet i'm giving that a one Woo. Giving that a... okay next up is ashes to ashes um wow if i really felt like it, it's what i maybe could have talked to you about doing extra points but i didn't it's okay and what it really it's an awesome song it's a really great song but what's really puts it over the top is its music video mm. it's one of Bowie's very best music videos maybe it's its first true masterpiece music video but coming in 1980 it was a big deal like to have this artistic and this big of a deal of a music video sure um, at the time it was the most expensive video, music video ever made wow uh, it's got multiple sets I mean like music videos at the time are pretty much just people standing on stage playing singing. live right like that's Lip that's what yeah. that's what most of them are, um, and sometimes it's people like in a studio singing or people see you know somewhere else singing, but that's pretty much all it is. Um, but we had multiple sets. He wore this big clown costume for a lot of this Poirot, you know, Italian clown, not like you know the typical clown you think of. Um, he there's different scenes. There's him in this uh, kitchen with things exploding in the background as Major Tom. There's this part that kind of looks like Alien where he's like attached the wall with these tubes coming into him which is yeah. also reference to Major Tom and whatever happened to him after he floated off into space oh no I know uh, but it helped it really was important in helping to make music videos into truly artistic respected endeavors like this was one of those things that, that helped to push the whole medium forward um, I have an excellent excellent quote from Bowie about the shooting of this okay um, there's a famous scene and one of the scenes in the video is him in this clown costume um, with a couple people in kind of like in different costumes also. And there's a bulldozer behind them, driving behind them as they walk forward. And they're out on this beach and like, it, I'm sure it was a big to-do to set this whole thing up. Um, so I got a quote from Bowie about what happened during this, which is really entertaining. There is a one a one word in here that is much more common in British, you know, for British than us. Uh, for the Americans, it's considered pretty obscene. And okay. I get the impression it's not appropriate, but it's it's more okay. Um, I'm going to use a substitute word. I think you'll figure out what I'm saying. <laughs> okay, <laughs> wow. This is exciting. All right. So this is all a quote from Bo here. I quote the attitude as young pop star. It's, e- it's easy to get caught up in the hype. It changes you. So he's on the set of Ashes to Ashes. I'm dressed from head to toe in a clown suit. I hear playback and the music starts. So off I go. I start singing and walking. But as soon as I do, this old geezer with an old dog walks right between me and the camera. <laughs> Knowing this is going to take a while, I walked past the old guy and sat next to next to the camera in my full costume waiting for him to pass. As he's walking by camera, the director says, Excuse me, sir, do you know who this is? The old guy looks at me from bottom to top and looks back to the director and said, Of course I do. It's some runt in a clown suit. It's a huge <laughs> moment. Puts me back in my place and made me realize, yes, I'm just a runt in a clown suit. I think about that old guy all the time. Thank you for not saying the real word. That's yep. one of my least favorite <laughs> words ever. Yeah. I think we can, you know, figure out what I was saying, what, what the word was instead of Ronda. Again, I would, very common in the yeah, UK. Less, less common here. Not cool anymore. I don't even think no. there is nope. it. No. Okay. All right. I love that. I love that quote. Great quote. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, old guy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank the dog. <laughs> yeah, the dog, too. So, uh, Ashes to Ashes, clearly a one as well. Clearly. Um, third single is Fashion. Um, this was a, a huge hit at the time, too, but this is one of those that's kind of forgotten today. Like, um, But it's a good follow-up. It also has a good music video, a little bit simpler video, um, at least partially because it was filmed while Bowie was in New York doing The Elephant Man. So they like filmed it during the day, you know, before his evening performances. Busy of this. guy. 
Uh, yeah, he was busy. And so they set up in, the, in this warehouse or something, they set up this, like, stage. Because they used the exact same thing when Bowie was filming his cameo in this movie called Christian F., which came out in 1981, which you talked about there. But he, uh, he plays himself, and the, the main character goes to this David Bowie concert in the movie. Um, but Bowie was in New York because he was doing on Broadway. So they had to, like, they had to send everybody over from the movie because they shot the rest of it in, uh, in Germany. So they had to send him over to New York and film this during the day while he was preparing. Gee. Anyway, the, the music video was still really good, even if it is a simpler video. Um, but it's really a great song. It was a big hit also. And that's also another one. A number, another one. Gee whiz. And finally, we have his performance in The Elephant Man. Wow. Um, I checked on this. I did not give points for this in 1981, so we're doing the points now, which makes sense. Yeah. Because the great majority of the shows were in, um, in 81. Or in 80, rather. So, again, he got amazing reviews from all accounts, very nearly all accounts. He's awesome on stage. I was able to find some clips of him performing, and he's really engaging, really good. I couldn't find the whole performance, but there was some special for the BBC where they did some filming of him, and they showed some clips. And, yeah, he's really good and a really interesting way in which he portrays this. So that's, uh, that's a one as well. It's, awesome. it's considered one of his best uh, acting performances. Gee whiz. Okay. So yeah, it's a killer year. That nice ends one. With a an eight. <laughs> so that's a that's nine solid. point spread. <laughs> that's a pretty <laughs> That's spread. a solid rocker, I would say. That's a pretty solid. That's rocker. one of our. That might be the biggest spread ever. I don't know. I don't know. The, Maybe you might be right. That with that big on one. I mean, eight makes it one of the biggest years. You know, that's a giant year for anybody. If only we had been doing a podcast where we actually like set all of the scores this whole time for fifty-two episodes, well, fifty-three. You know, if only we I could check. Down, I don't write down what you do. I just do. I know you don't listen to the podcast to either. So yeah, I don't get around to it very often. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, coming up next on the Johnny Carson show, it's <laughs> Charles. <laughs> So, Charlie, tell me why you don't listen to your own podcast. <laughs> that is correct, sir. <laughs> I don't know how you've tied to listen to so many podcasts. I, just listen. I, I don't anymore. I used to drive a lot. I used to drive a lot. I don't I drive, drive a lot. There's that. There's that. That's what it is. I don't is. drive at all anymore. Yeah. <laughs> we're saving on gas, I'll tell you that much. I move upstairs when I go to work. <laughs> That's, it. That's the only thing we're saving on is gas right now. Mm-hmm. Boy, does it come in handy. Hey. So, hey. Yeah. All right. Tell them what's next, oh, Jazz. What? I, I don't know where I wrote, I wrote this note somewhere and missed it, but um, just in case you're wondering. I'm not. David Bowie was uh, performing the Elephant Man the day you were born. He was! I looked for something that Dylan was doing, but he wasn't doing anything. I don't remember what time of day you were born. I was born just after midnight, so it was almost December 27th. Okay. It was like 1220 okay. or something a.m. Okay, so Bowie would have been done with performance by then. Obviously. I was going to say, so Central Time, that's only an hour behind Eastern Time, so yeah. Yeah, yeah, he went in Eastern, yeah. Okay. Too bad, man, too bad. Maybe, uh, you know, Dylan might have been carrying on with two or three girlfriends at the time of my birth. Who knows? Evangelizing to them? Mm, I think they were on his side already. I think something else was going on. Not sure what. <laughs> okay. Hey. <laughs> Hey! Next up is 2006. Yeah, making a leap forward there, eh? Leap forward. This is yeah. Bowie's last vacation year, which I'm so glad we almost done with those. You know, this is a, this is a little breadcrumb for the, for the Dylan fans, but I feel like we're leaping into modern times. I'll just let that sit with the Dylan audience, 2006. We're leaping into modern times. Did you really have to say it again? <laughs> I just want everyone to get it, just so they get it. <laughs> There is no way in which they didn't get it. What? Uh, All well, the boy I just, fans just got it. All the boy fans just got it too. Okay. I'm just saying a phrase, and it involves the year 2006, and the phrase is modern times. It's a clear reference to the 1936 <laughs> uh, Charlie, Charlie Chaplin movie, Modern Times. Absolutely. Why did you have to give it away? <laughs> Sorry, Spoiler Ruben. alert. Spoiler alert. Hey, <laughs> I'm Charlie, and I like Bowie. I'm Jake, and I love Dylan. We'll talk at you next time. See you later.